Good morning, Four Corners. Hey, I wanted to give you guys a quick update uh, before we get too far into this today on Pastor Ben and Pastor Greg. As many of you know, last week they went on vacation uh, with their family. They actually went on a family cruise. Uh, Pastor Ben and Greg, they found out last year their mom had cancer. And one of their uh, mom's requests for them this summer was that they do a family vacation together. So that means Pastor Ben, that means uh, Pastor Greg, and all their siblings are all together together. and have been together for about the last week or so. So let's pray for them, number one, (laughs) that they're going to be okay. I'm kidding. Um, No, but they've had a great time. I talked with Ben yesterday about his trip, and he said that it was great. They got back, and they're in Florida. He was actually driving down to Key West spontaneously, which totally doesn't sound like Ben to me. But hey, whatever, you're on vacation, let's do this thing. Um, But it sounded like they had a great time. But he wanted me to make sure I told you that he misses you, he loves you, He's been praying for you and thinking about you, and that he'll be back next week for Father's Day to, to talk to us um, and, and deliver the message. So as I'm sure many of you have been doing, there's been this big conversation going around our house about summer break. Like, what are we going to do this summer? What are we most excited about doing this summer? Um, I specifically asked my son, hey, C, what's up, man? Uh, what are you most looking forward to this summer? He came, his response to me was, video games, Dad. I'm about to play video games all summer long. And I'm like, okay, we're going to have to talk about that because I'm not sure that's the, like, the best thing for you to be doing. Um, but then it, it's, it caused him to ask me a question like he does a lot. I usually ask him a question, and then he usually asks me a question. So I was expecting him to ask me what I was most excited about, about this summer, about doing. And he, but instead he asked me, he said, Dad, when you were my age, what did you like to do? Like, Dad, what did you like to do over summer break when you were growing up? And, 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 I said, and I, my first response to him was, oh, basketball. Like, see, I just played basketball all summer long, to which he looked at me like I had two or three eyes. I have two eyes, like three or four eyes maybe. Um, he looks at me and he, he, he looks at me and he's just like, why in the world would you want to play basketball all summer? I mean, that involves going outside where it's hot and uh, getting sweaty. Like, why would you want to do that? And so then the conversation moved on, and we really didn't talk any more about it. But it got me thinking about why was basketball when I was growing up, why was that so important to me? Why was it kind of the driving force to what I did? And I traced it all the way back to the summer between my eighth grade and ninth grade year uh, when I was heading into high school. Now, I was, at this time, I was probably about 6'4", 6'5". I was a pretty good kid, pretty big kid. The high school basketball coach was already talking to me about playing on the varsity team this upcoming year. And so my plans for the 8th and ninth grade summer were just like sleep till 1, maybe, and get up, maybe, hopefully by 2 or 3, and then just hang out at my house and not really do anything at all. And his idea of what I should be doing for summer break was very different. So the, I remember the very, this was like yesterday, I remember sleeping, it's Monday morning, and I hear this knock at the door, or maybe it was more like somebody kicking my door in of the house at like 7 o'clock in the morning. My mom and dad have left for work already. And so I hop out of bed. I'm in one of those fogs where I'm just like, where am I? Is this really happening? Am I about to die? And I run to the front door in our house on, on Todd Hunter Road in Monroe. And I look through our vertical blinds and I just like kind of peek like he's not going to see me moving the blind. And I kind of peek and I'm like, oh man, it's my coach. His truck's out there. What, what the heck is he doing at my house? And so I open the door standing in my boxers with sleep in my eyes, my hair a mess. And he's, he's like, hey, he's, you know, he's rocking his coaching shorts, right? He's a typical coach. Coaches, polyester shorts, polo shirt, tucked in, 
no belt, zipper about to bust, uh, whistle around his neck, dip in his cheek. I mean, this is the, your typical coach. And everybody just got grossed out. Um, <laughs> he, he's sitting there looking at me, and he's like, hey, man, you, were you going to work out this morning or what? And I responded to him. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, coach, I was getting ready. I was like, I was up getting ready, just, you know, trying to get myself awake. When in all reality, he's looking at me knowing I just jumped out of bed. So this began a relationship between my coach and I that went on for actually three years of my high school career, but really intensely in the summers of my freshman and sophomore year, where Dutch, I called him Coach Collins at the time, but his name was Dutch, where Dutch would show up to my house morning after morning, beating the door down to inspire me to go work out, to inspire me to get better to play the game of basketball. What he was doing is he was having conversations with me all along the way. So as I was running a mile and a half to the school, he was driving beside me. I say conversation, but I think it was more like a lecture as he was lecturing me on what makes a good player great, what makes a mediocre player good, what makes a great player a superstar. And it became very apparent to me that that Dutch had this love for the game of basketball. It was this love that drove him. It was probably the thing he cared about most. I mean, I'm sure he cared about his family, but for me, I thought he just cared about basketball and that's it. So what ended up happening to me is that kind of became contagious. I started loving the game of basketball so much that instead of him coming to my house, he would be driving down the road to my house to get me up and I would be passing him the other way already running. I began having conversations with the other players on the team about the love of basketball and what's going to make us a, a, take us from a mediocre team to a good team and from a good team to a great team and the sacrifice that was going to take. And as I think about it, I began to sound a whole lot like Dutch. What was the center of his life, the one thing he held up and said, I love this more than anything, became the center of my life. It became the first thing I talked about. It became everything I talked about. It became who I was. It was my identity. His identity and love for basketball became my identity and my love for basketball. And I think a lot of us in the room today are a lot like Dutch. I think we all have a love for something. I think we all have a love I think we all have something that the center of us, at the first thought of our imagination, at the core of our heart, I think we all have something that we love, that we hold up and we say, I love this. We think about it, and the more we think about it, we want to pursue it more. And the more we pursue it more, the more we become like it. And I think we start to define ourselves by that thing we hold up in our life as most important, most valuable. So I hear this a lot when I talk to people. I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure you've had conversations where you've walked up to a a family, like some friends of yours, and you've said, hey, man, how was your week? What have you been doing? And they immediately go into this busyness story about how their life is so busy, and at the core of their busyness are their kids. And it becomes very apparent to you really quickly that their kids are the center of their life because They will drive 14 different places on a Saturday to go to two baseball games. You know what I mean? They got 
two baseball games going on, three birthday parties, and one sleepover. And what you realize really quickly is that these kids are driving their parents' lives. That these parents are so focused on the opportunities that they can provide for their kids, they're holding that up and saying, this opportunity, this sporting event is most important to me, so it's most important to you. That's why I'm making it a priority in your life. You see it a lot in relationships. Maybe I see it a lot in relationships because I deal with the, the high school kids around here. So I hear a lot of girls, specifically not picking on the females in the room, but I hear a lot of girls say, oh, if I could just find Mr. Right. And they get so fixated on Mr. Right and they never find the, the Mr. Right in high school. They find Mr. Wrong after Mr. Wrong after Mr. Wrong. That they go to college and then their whole life becomes around these experiences of finding Mr. Right. And then when they get married, because their whole life was about finding Mr. Right, guess what happens? The generation that's coming up behind them, their daughter, their daughter's life becomes all about finding Mr. Right. You see this in careers. You see people who have incredible work ethics. I mean, they can work anybody under the table. And you ask them, what is the driving force behind your work ethic? And what do they say? They say, oh, well, man, there was one thing my dad told me. My dad told me, regardless of whatever I do, I better be a hard worker. It's part of our heritage. We're a hardworking family. We started from nothing, and now look what we've got. What was in that adult, that father, was transferred down to the next generation, to his son. You see this with religion. You see this with stuff. You see this with like iPhones, for instance. I sat with Mike Halpin. Mike Halpin shows me this cool new app on the iPad. What do I have to do? I have to go get this new cool new app. and I have to start checking it out. Why? Because that's kind of important to Mike. Because Mike's important to me, I want to know what's important to him. And then guess what? Then I start talking to everybody else about this app. Before you know it, I'm holding this app up saying, hey, I'm worshiping this app right now. You guys should all go worship it too and check it out. See, I think at the center of us, I think at the core of who we are, we all worship something. We all hold something up and say, this is more valuable than this. And so I found myself in my own life doing this. And like I do a lot of times is when I find myself doing something that I get disgusted about, like I get really hacked at myself, I turn to God's word. And I try to find out, what is, does the Bible even say anything about this? Because I'm feeling like this just isn't right. And usually that leads me down to a path that really either confirms that what I'm doing is right or wrong. Really what it does is it brings me great, great clarity. So what I want to do today in just a few moments is open up God's word. And we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn there now. So let me go ahead and give you some background on what's going on here uh, so that you can kind of know how this, is, how this applies and ties in. The, the book of Deuteronomy at this point is opening with Israel, and they're camped out east of the Jordan River. They're in the, in the land of Moab. They're, they're getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses, who is their leader, who's writing this book, who's telling us what's going on, he stands up 
in front of all of Israel, like this, like this coach wearing tight shorts and a whistle, screaming really loud. And he's about to try to inspire them. He's giving this, them this huge inspiring speech about their faith. And he's talking to them primarily about the generation that's coming up behind them and the potential of them completely losing their faith. See, the the culture of the Israelites was that of community. So not only were parents sitting here listening, but there were aunts, uncles, cousins. There were siblings. There were probably a few extra wives because that's how they rolled back in that day. Just kidding, probably not the last part, but whatever. Um, but the, the, the family unit then was really not what we think of as the family unit today. It wasn't me, Suzanne, and Cayman. That wasn't the family unit they were talking about. There was this significant, this intentional, multi-generational support that Israel would give to the family. These were Tribes of families. This was very strategic how they did this. This was tribes of families in relationships with other families who believed that the role of the family to nurture the faith of the future generations was key. Moses is talking right now to every parent. He's talking to every leader. He's saying, yo, yo, yo. Whether you're a kid or not, I can see him right now standing up on the hill. I'm pretty sure he's not talking normal. I'm pretty sure he's screaming because he's talking to all of Israel. And that's like a huge crew. And I hear him saying, yo, yo, if you are old or if you are young, get this, get what I'm about to say here. This is not just for you if you're a parent, although it does apply. This is not just for you if you are a teenager, although it does apply. This applies to everybody. This is the central theme, what we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes, is the central theme of what Deuteronomy talks about over and over and over and over. You hear this time after time after time. It's as though Moses is like trying to kick the door down and pull them out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning. This sets a pattern, what Moses is going to talk about, sets a pattern for us in our daily lives and how we can apply God's word to our lives. And so Moses says in Deuteronomy 6.4, the words will be on the screen if you don't have your, your Bible with you today. He says, hear, O Israel. And what he's saying, he's saying, listen. Listen to me. Don't miss this. What I'm about to say is kind of important. He said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, in this one phrase, Moses establishes the frame of reference for everything God He begins this passage by reminding Israel about the the centrality of the nation's faith. He says, hey, Israel, heads up, hold this thing up. This is called God. Hold this up. Make this the center of your lives. He's saying, he's like, hey, it's not all about nations. It's not even about church. It's not even about family. This is all about God. See, this was very, very important for the nation of Israel at the time because they were getting ready to enter their promised land, Canaan. And in Canaan, there were all kinds of different people already residing there. 
who were worshiping all kinds of different gods. I would picture Canaan a lot like our community here. And what Moses didn't want them to do is he didn't want them to enter the promised land and forget what mattered most. He didn't want them to enter the promised land and get distracted because there's a God over here that looks a little bit more enticing and it's easier to get a hold of and you can actually see this God. And then raise that God up and then the, their kids and the, the generation that's looking and watching them begins to say, oh, well, that's the God we need to worship because that's what they're worshiping. Moses is saying, no, 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 no. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's saying, if you don't start with God, you may end up in the wrong place once we get to Canaan. Then Moses says something, I think that's like the head turner. You know, you'll be like, kind of paying attention. And then somebody says something, you're like, what? Hold on, what did you just say? You ever had that moment? This is that moment. Moses says, so he says this, he introduces this, this thought for the very first time in Scripture. It's the first time we ever see it. And then Jesus, 1,500 years later, repeats this exact same thing. Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Moses, right there in that one phrase, he explains the missing link that so often occurs when we allow our faith to become a system of religion instead of a relational faith. See, the, the only thing that separates a living faith from like a, a ritualistic orthodoxy is this one compelling thought, this one idea, this one force that's so big, I don't think you can control it, and it's called love. And Moses is saying to the people of Israel, from this point forward, you need to transition from a people who just obey the rules, but to a people that love the Lord your God so much that you just can't get enough. Moses is warning in this passage about passing down the rules of religion without the context, the context of a loving relationship. See, God desires love from our heart. Not just merely legalistically following the rules. This is life-changing, guys. God, his love forms the foundation for us that we build our trust in him upon. See, Moses right now is setting up the adult population of Israel to understand exactly how to pass down their faith. So in Deuteronomy 6.6, Moses says this. He says, these commandments that I give you today, yeah, they're to be upon your hearts. He's like, he's saying that God is the center of your life and that you're to love the Lord your God with all your hearts. That should be in your heart, kind of ingrained in you. It should be like the love of basketball was ingrained in Dutch. It was ingrained so much that it just flowed out of him. It became contagious. He's saying, this is a matter of the heart. And before you can hand these things down to your kids or to future generations, they have to be in you. It has to be in you before you can pass it 
down. See, Moses is fighting for something more important than what a lot of us fight for. He's fighting for something more important than religion or practice or family. Moses is fighting for the heart. And this is a critical point in the text that I don't want us to miss because this was the the all-clarifying verse for me for today. See, Moses knows that faith in God it has nothing to do, is nothing about anything external. Faith in God is all internal. And Moses is warning about this generation that's coming up, getting ready to enter Canaan. And he's warning them about the danger of that generation losing their faith. So Moses goes on in Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Teach his commandments to your children is what he's saying. He's saying, and just like be so consumed with God that this just naturally flows out of you. So it's just like a normal part of your life. Like you're not doing anything extra. You're just living life together and you're talking about God, and God is held up at the very center. He's the most important thing to you. He says, tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Moses is saying right now, he's saying, just don't forget about them. Fix these things in your mind. Be intentional. Because if you're not intentional, if you don't, put, if you don't remind yourself regularly, you're going to miss this. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says it this way. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. That's Moses saying it just another way. He said, just do this willingly. You see, for some of us sitting in the room today, I think what you've just heard is a lot like what I just heard. I think the feeling you may be having right now is kind of the feeling I had two weeks ago when I read this verse for the first or second time. It felt like somebody just smacked me upside the face of the two-by-four. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's like somebody's just calling me out. Because I believe for all of us, whether you are in the room today and you are a follower of Jesus, otherwise known as a Christian, or you are an unbeliever, unbeliever and you have all kinds of questions about Christianity. So whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, I believe we all struggle with this. I believe, I believe we all struggle with the idea that there is God who is at the center of our lives, whether we want him to be or not, whether we are in relationship with him or not, God is controlling our life. It's just whether you're willing to engage him and recognize him and hold him high and live your life and hold yourself to the relationship that he wants with you. So our tendency as Christians, I believe, at least in my life, is to have a to-do list type of Christianity where we are just okay with getting up in the morning and reading our Bible. And we check the box. And then we're okay with at night saying a prayer before we go to bed and we check the box. I mean, the Christianity that some of us live has become relegated to no more than a household chore that we despise day after day after day. It's like doing the dishes. It's as though Moses is standing in the room today looking at us, wagging his finger in our face saying, congratulations. 
what did you expect? I told you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but you love sports more than you loved God. He's saying, you've created this great system of religion. That's amazing. Congratulations. But what you really wanted, what you really still want, is a relational faith. We're searching. I believe all of us are searching for something that is bigger than us. We're searching for something in our lives that makes a difference. Or as at Four Corners we like to say, we're searching for something real. We've willfully exchanged our heart's natural desire for a prostitute God that leaves us alone. We're impressing this idea on our families like experiences are the most important thing that you could ever do because of how we live our lives in front of the generation below us. As soon as some of us feel the pressure, the first thing we do when we feel the time crunch, what most of us do is we're like, oh, whoa, whoa, I need to take a break. Like there's too much going on. And so what do we cut out? We cut out church, we cut out relationships, we cut out God. You treat church as just another experience that you can just stop doing. And so some of you have served in this church forever. And things are just too busy right now for you to serve in community of faith. Some of you saw small group signups come out last week. And you flip through the catalog, and there's a ton of stuff that looked really good to you, and you wanted to sign up so bad, but you're just too busy this summer. You're really just too busy to invest your life, your time into a community of believers where you can grow closer to God, who is the, or at least as we would say, he's the center of our life, right? But he's not really. And so through the summer months, we stop attending church on a regular basis. As soon as the better cookout comes along or as soon as the swimming pool comes open or as soon as it rained all weekend and now it's sunny on Sunday, we decide, eh, it's no big deal. We can just miss. And so without intentionally doing it, what we're saying to everyone around us is that God's not the center of our lives. He's just something that we experience whenever it's convenient. Before you know it, you're, you're a lot like me and you're evaluating this life you've built for yourself and you find yourself and you step back and you like pat yourself on the back. This, is, this was my life like five years ago. You pat yourself on the back and you say, hey, job well done. Great job, Nate. And what we don't realize is that we've built a house of cards that our family's living in. You're blind to the fact that your family is becoming experientially rich, but relationally poor. You've poured yourself into your career in the name of your family so that you can provide better experiences and more opportunities for them. And so you check off the box and you say, it's okay. 
that I go ahead and not be home at night with my kids and tuck them into bed. Because I'm providing this money so they can do all these things. Well, let's be honest, what your kids really want is not all these things. They want you to be present in their life. They want you to show them who God is. They want God. They're following in your footsteps. They're following in my footsteps. What is priority in our lives is becoming a lot like what happened to me in high school. It's becoming priority of their lives. What's being impressed in you, what you're impressing on them is the most important thing. What you're holding high is being impressed in them as most important. Here's the good news today. For me, this is where I found freedom. This was when I got excited and when my life changed. This is what changed my life. And it's not profound. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, duh, Nate. No kidding. Well, here's, here's the statement. It just doesn't have to be this way anymore. It doesn't. This summer could be the summer that you make a decision for yourself, not for your kids, not for your family, not for your job, not for anybody but yourself. This summer could be the summer where you make the decision to make God the center of your life and the center of your worship. You make the decision that this summer will be, you're gonna take the first step to engage the relational faith that you've so been longing for that you haven't been able to find anywhere else. You make the decision for yourself. And I'm going to say, like Moses said, because, you know, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. What you hold high as the God in your life will be passed down to those who are watching you. It's not what you say as much as it's what you do. So some practical things we can do, we can... Be involved in the community of faith. You can make church a priority in your life. And you can make it personal. You can invest personally into a relationship. And you can grow closer to God. And out of growing closer to God, you will fall more in love with him. When you fall more in love with something, what happens, it just naturally comes out of you. And what happens when it comes out of you? It becomes contagious. People around you begin to look at you different. They begin to look at you like, yo, what are you so excited about? Like, your life sucks. And you're like, I know, but I've got God, and he's at the center of it all, and I can't even explain any of this. And they're like, I want what you've got. Let Let me check that app out real quick, otherwise known as God. Let me check that out. And it's a snowball effect. So like with your family this summer, you can make it an intentional intentional point to read the Bible. Yeah, you can read the Bible with your family, but you can make an intentional point to read the Bible for yourself in front of your family so that you can say without saying it, this is what's important to me. Yeah, game seven's on of the NBA finals. But this is what's important to me too. So I'm gonna watch game seven and I'm gonna read my Bible because I'm not really ready to give up game seven yet. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I do. So 
I began thinking, I was like, what if? I, I always like to think like, what ifs? Like, okay, God needs to be the center of it all. What I impress, uh, what, what's, what's held high in my life is what I'm going to impress on those who come in contact with me, whether they're younger or older. It's just how it's going to work. So it's, it has to be in me. God has to be in me before it can be in anybody else. It starts with me. And so I began to think, what if Four Corners was the type of church that, and the type of family that Moses was addressing? What if this church had a multi-generational support structure for the family? Where the strategic role of the family was valued and supported, not just by those with kids, but by everyone. What if we looked like at Four Corners? What if we looked like a tribe of families with other families who believed in the strategic importance of the family to nurture a generation's faith so they don't walk away or so that they don't hear clearly the message of Jesus? What if we became the type of church that was like that? What if we all walked around here high-fiving each other because we're holding the banner high in God's name? What if, for you this morning, what if the love that you've been so desperately searching for is staring, you, staring at you right in the face? And his name is God, and he's saying, hey, I'm right, right here. I'm a gentleman, so I'm not going to intrude on your life. And what if he's just waiting for you to accept him? What if God captured our hearts? What if God captured your heart? What if he captured your imagination in such a way that you fall deeply in love with him? And then I like to think big. So what if Four Corners was the change that not only our community was waiting for, what if Four Corners was the change this world is waiting for? What if it starts with us? What if, it's, what if we take this idea that Moses just talked about, what if we apply it to our church? What if we say, it's got to be in us collectively before it can be in them? This is my favorite one. What if, because we are, what if we're on the other side of the Jordan River in the land of the rave? getting ready to walk into our promised land. And just like Moses was saying to the Israelites, he's saying to us, yo, it has to be in you before it can be in them. What if? See, I believe we are the church. And I believe we are a family. I believe we are the family of God. And I truly believe that as Moses talked to the Israelites, he's talking to us today. He's saying, yo, yo, here, oh, four corners. Meaning, listen, the Lord our God, our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, strength. Make sure these commandments that I've given you are in your heart. Because when they're in you, they'll naturally flow out of you. To generation after generation after generation.